So I hope everyone had a good Valentine's Day. And to continue the celebration, I bring you an episode rooted in family, friendships, and love. Love, a many splendored and complex thing. One can love a song, a place, a lifestyle, and of course, there's the love of another soul. And there's the type of love that arrives unexpectedly. Those may be the best love stories of all. So if you believe in such a thing as fate or destiny, this episode is for you. Dave Plum came back to Philmont for what he thought was one more summer. He had sworn off relationships when, at a Tabasco Donkeys concert, he unexpectedly met the woman he'd later marry and grow a family with. As a participant, Dave went to PTC in 1996. He went on trek in 1997, and he went on PSA treks in 1999, 2001, 2015, and 2021. As a seasonal staff member in 2003, he was a logistics trip planner. In 2008, logistics assistant manager and autumn guide. 2009, camp director at Ring Place. 2011, logistics communication manager and autumn co-coordinator. And in 2012, he was the logistics communications manager again. So prior to working on staff, Dave attended PSA treks with his father. On these treks, he witnessed the deep connections between current and past staff, which is what made him fall in love with Philmont Scout Ranch. Dave discusses the culture of logistics, the Philmont staff connection to the Red River Ski Area, and how he continues to use teachable moments to this day as a school teacher in Colorado. So whether you are a sappy romantic or a pragmatic realist, I think we can all agree that the things that stir, excite, or awaken you are not random. They are connected to your purpose, and so you should follow them. I am here this evening with Dave Plum, who happens to be a good friend of mine, and he lives in the beautiful Carbondale, Colorado. So thanks, Dave, for joining the show this evening. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to hang out and chat with you. Let's kick it off with the traditional origin story, how you ended up at Philmont the first time you uh, you set foot in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I grew up knowing about Philmont. My dad worked at Philmont in the early 70s, uh, 70, 71, 72. And so we had like the Philmont coffee table book in my house. And and uh, I guess starting probably with Cub Scouts, I started hearing of Philmont, knowing of Philmont, although I didn't really know much about it for a long time. My first time to Philmont was as a PTC participant kid in 96, when my dad had the opportunity to go to some national training at the training center. That story kind of lives in our family lore. Uh, My younger sister did not want to go to Boy Scout camp that summer. She uh, rolled her eyes and threw uh, fits about it. She was uh, probably 10 years old. And um, But by the end of our week at PTC, she was throwing fits because she did not want to leave. Uh, she had such a great time. My mom still refers to that week as the best family vacation we ever took when my sister and I were young. Uh, so we had a great experience at PTC. That was in 96. I was just a few months shy of being old enough to uh, participate in mountain trek. So I didn't uh, have that opportunity, but we did like the overnight at the stockade and climbed the tooth and uh, uh, lover's leap and, and you know, all those uh, PTC day hikes. Uh, I, I had a good time and returned the next year as the crew leader uh, for crew 729M3. And that was a, a good experience. I, th- I think my whole crew and I had a, a good time, but it wasn't um, it wasn't fantastic. We were a very young crew and very immature. We were all 14. And like I said, it was good, but not great. Um, so I hadn't really like locked in with Philmont yet. Uh, it wasn't until two years later in 99, my dad had the opportunity to go back on a PSA track. He had become uh, involved in the Philmont Staff Association 
and really wanted to go on a PSA track and wanted me to come along. And I said, yeah, sure. That sounds great. So I did PSA tracks with my dad in 99 and 2001. And it was those two experiences that really made me fall in love with Philmont. I was more mature and, and older and seeing some of the behind the scenes and hearing the staff tell their stories and hear uh, my dad connect with the staff, things like that really locked me in. And I knew by the end of that first track in 99, really, that I wanted to come back and work at this place and and have more of, of whatever this was. <laughs> I wanted more of it. Uh, my first year on staff was in 2003, and I worked in logistics. I was the only member of the logistics staff that year who was not 21, which meant several things <laughs> in the evenings when a lot of my coworkers were uh, going and finding things to do. I was left behind, uh, which was fine. That summer was a very... I was 20 years old and just had these dreams of like, I'm going to go down to Philmont and like find myself and be like really introspective. And I, I didn't really care to make friends with anyone or connect with anyone else. It was just about like me and the place and the job and hiking on my days off and adventures on my days off, things like that. Can you elaborate actually on why your initial trek in 97 when you were a crew leader wasn't great? I really think it it centered around the fact that we were an immature crew. And like I said, we, we did fine. I don't think we really like, we didn't screw anything up and we didn't, it wasn't awful by any means. It was just good, but not great. I mean, I would yeah. compare it to like the other uh, activities and campouts that we were doing with my troop and with the Explorer post I was involved in at the time. And we probably had more fun doing those activities because we were better prepared and we were, we knew what we were getting into with those things. Um, and yeah. Philmont was just a little much for a crew of all 14 year olds. And that awareness was something I kept with me as a staff member, for sure. When I was dealing with crews and I'd you know see their roster, I'd be talking to the crew leader and, and uh, yeah. there's a, a lot of growing up between 14 and 16 and 18. Um, sure. It's, yeah. in, it's interesting to hear that. It's, it's good perspective. When you on the, went on the two PSA treks in 99 and 01 with your dad, so by then you would have been 18? Uh, I just didn't know you could go on a PSA trek before you were on staff. Uh, as a guest. Do you know what I mean? Of, of a PSA a member. Yeah. yeah. So my dad was cool. a former staff member, PSA yeah. uh, member, and you can bring a guest. I uh, I, I really like this story, actually. I, I knew from the end of, by the end of that trek in 99 that, not only did I want to come back and work at Philmont, but I wanted to join the PSA and become a lifetime member and have access to these PSA tracks for the rest of my life. Uh, right. That, yeah. that was something that I just knew I was going to do. And my first year on staff in 2003, uh, my year of, of solitude and finding myself, <clears throat> I was putting away a little bit of money from each paycheck. Uh, I'm not a budgeter and especially wasn't a budgeter at 20 years old. Uh, but I knew I wanted this and I was putting money aside from each paycheck to, to purchase my lifetime membership with the PSA by the end of the summer, which I think at the time was $500. It's, it's a little bit more than that now, but in 03, I think it was $500 and I had the money, uh, by the end of the summer. Well, at the end of summer, my parents came down uh, my grandma used to live in Albuquerque, and so they were kind of back and forth between Kansas City, where I grew up, and Albuquerque. And my parents were around at the end of the summer. I was sitting in the staff dining hall, which was still very new then. I think it, 2002 was the first year. And uh, so the brand new staff dining hall. And uh, my dad comes in and sits down with me, and we're having this meal together. And he says, uh, hey, I, while you were at work, I, I picked something up for you. And he slides this manila envelope across the table to me. And, and a Nalgene that says the, has the PSA logo on it because you used to get a Nalgene when you signed up as a lifetime member. I opened it up and it was a lifetime membership to the PSA. I had never told my dad that this was my goal and my plan, but he took it upon himself to buy me this lifetime membership. And, and of course, I'm still a lifetime member to this day. What really, what that meant is the money I had saved up for this lifetime membership, I got to take back to college and and spend on having a good time. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, uh, but it was just a really cool <laughs> that's, that's great. connection with yeah. my dad and I. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love that. I haven't had anyone on the show uh, do a PSA trick as a as a guest uh, before they were on on staff themselves and have such an impact. So I think that's an awesome story. Thanks for that one. I, too, am a lifetime member and super glad for it. Um, well, you got to get out jump. on some tracks. You got to get your, you know, in a few years, get the kids out and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's top That's of my bucket list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were already, uh, so Tabasco Donkeys, Tooth of Time, Tune on Me. You know that song? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's their favorite right now. So every time I take Jillian to school in the morning, she wants to hear Tooth of Time chewing on me. So it's chewing, it's chewing on us. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, you got to start yeah. the indoctrination early. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so let's get back to, yeah, your first summer then on staff. You were the trip planner in 03. You were having an introspective summer. Any more takeaways from that year? I learned a lot about Philmont working in in logistics, you just kind of get a taste of a lot of, of different departments and different camps and you get exposed to a lot. Um, it's not an easy place to work for a first year staff member, I would say. Um, did you apply for it? I, I don't remember. I, I'm sure that backcountry staff was top of my list. That's what my dad had done. And that's the stories I knew, you know, he, he worked at Crater Lake and at Clear Creek and at Cimarroncito and, and, those are the stories I knew and that's what I wanted. So I'm sure backcountry staff was top of my list. I was actually at Philmont in, uh, I can tell you the exact date. It was St. Patrick's day, uh, March 17th of 2003 before I worked there that summer. Cause we were on the way back from visiting my grandma in Albuquerque and my, one of my parents or someone, one of us had this idea and they're like, Hey Dave, you're applying to Philmont this summer. Why don't you stop by and drop off your application in person? you know, shake someone's hand and meet someone. So we stopped by on the way back from Albuquerque. And I talked with Doug Palmer, who I did not know at the time, but he uh, met with me and shook my hand. And uh, I think it was during that meeting that he told me in that very like direct Doug Palmer kind of way, like, oh yeah, we'll have you work in logistics. Like, <laughs> like it was just this foregone conclusion. And I, I said, okay. Um, I don't, rem- <laughs> I, I don't remember how all that played out with like some yeah. of my application and, and things like that. Uh, but it was just kind of Doug Palmer yeah. knew that I was going to work in logistics. And so I did <laughs> some, um, uh, yeah, Doug, Doug Palmer destiny right there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, logistics is, um, gosh, I'm sure there's so much behind the scenes because you went on to work as the logistics assistant manager and then the logistics communication manager f- for two summers. In between there, you worked CD Ring Place. So you spent a lot of time in logistics. So so Doug was not wrong. Um, and I think when people think of logistics, they mostly think of, you know, trip planning and that the big board uh, and itinerary readout and, and what have you. But there's a lot more that goes on in that department. And um, I'd love for you to enlighten listeners if you, if you uh, would. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I can, my knowledge is current up to 2012, 10 years ago now, which sure. blows my mind that it's been 10 years since right. I've worked there. So things may have changed, of course, but um, there uh, are three major, I don't want to say divisions, but like roles that um, logistics takes care of. Uh, the first is trip planning and every crew that comes to Philmont uh, goes through a trip plan at logistics and they come with their ranger and they get checked in and we do a talk in the big room about some safety uh, protocols and uh, doing their conservation hours and where they can find water or not find water. Any of that need to know kind of stuff that is specific to their trek. And then they sit down in a trip planning bay in the logistics office with a trip planner and they go through their map uh, one day at a time and they draw their boxes and their triangles around their staff camps and their trail camps and the you know mark where there's no water and all that stuff. So the trip planner kind of takes the crew leader and lead advisor through the trek day by day and answers any questions, addresses anything that that they need to know. The second role in logistics is transportation and that's really all transportation off ranch with the exception of transport to and from any of the hospitals because Health Lodge takes care of that. So mostly bus stations and airports, uh, any 
staff that are arriving and departing, any advisors that need to go home suddenly or someone's arriving later, uh, you know, Rayado participants coming in by themselves on the train or whoever. So any of the transportation that's off ranch. <clears throat> and then the third aspect is communications, which is the radio room. And uh, on the Philmont radio network, which I used to know these numbers off the top of my head, I don't remember, but it's something like 45 different base stations, you know, fleet of a hundred and something vehicles. And I don't remember how many portable radios, but on you know, the Philmont radio network, uh, the logistics radio room is base and they are operating 24 seven. So if anyone needs anything, call down to base and someone in the logistics radio room says base here, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, that sounded familiar. <laughs> <laughs> I remember hearing you. Um, Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for the quick rundown, just for for listeners who might not know. I'm sure that working in logistics, especially as the um, the two summers as the communications manager, uh, I'm sure you heard and saw, you know, everything under the sun. What was something that maybe you weren't expecting? <laughs> um, the two summers that I was the communications manager were 2011 and 2012. And uh, for those of you who are around in those years, you remember the extreme fire danger everywhere and the giant red and pink and fuchsia signs that we were putting up all over the backcountry and at every trail camp. And there's probably still some floating around out there. Those were, those were very dry, high wind, crispy years. And I actually kept a, a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet, where I went through day by day and just kind of noted anything significant that happened uh, each day. And I was looking at those the other day as I was getting my head in the space for this interview. And it's really incredible, especially in 2011, how it's like there was something significant almost every day, whether it was a, a fire that had some significant response from the fire department or a search and rescue that had a response dispatch from base camp or a carry team that was out uh, with a litter or uh, and some of them have like my weird shorthand notation that that only meant something to me at the time. <laughs> some of which I've forgotten what they mean. One of them just says the Chupacabra incident. And John Nagib, if you're listening, you'll know what that was about on top of Deer Lake Mesa. But uh, like some of them are just so crazy. I just had to to jot something down. Those were really busy summers comparatively for Philmont. Uh, and so I, I got to be, I got to be there for a lot of it and be on duty in the radio room. I had a lot of really late nights. That's both the summers and some sleepless nights. And, uh, and that was fine. That was, that was great. It was part of the job. I think that's cool that you had like your, your Excel spreadsheet and the little notations. It's like you had a little journal of, of the day-to-day in logistics. I think that's, that's fun to, that you get to go back and look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's, what's kind of the culture like in logistics? Or do you guys have a Phil Fiesta? Do you have the same kind of you know, sub, subculture tradition that other departments have at Philmont? Or um, yeah, maybe what, some behind-the-scenes fun trivia about logistics. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that. I'm glad and not glad because there's two answers to that story (laughs) or to that question. And the first answer I'm really not proud of. Uh, When I worked down there in 2003, the culture and logistics, or at least the culture I absorbed was that of, of like control. Logistics used to be called control in the seventies and eighties. I don't know when they changed it, but it was this idea that like we were in charge and giving people permission to do things or not do things and puppet masters pulling the string kind of, kind of thing. And it, I remember having a pretty big head about it in 2003 and looking back, I'm really not proud of that at all. In 2008, that had changed a little bit. I came back in 2008 as an assistant manager in logistics. And then in 11 and 12, when I was working in logistics, Sid Covington had taken over as the logistics manager by that point, and he did a lot to really change that culture, <laughs> just really squash that culture. <clears throat> and he made it really clear that we were a, a customer service department and our customers were the rest of the staff. Uh, and he was absolutely right. I 
I don't know if you remember this because you were a CD both those years, but during the round robin CD training, uh, when you all would come through the radio room, I would, you know, I had gave a little talk to all the CDs about radio etiquette and procedures and stuff like that. And, uh, one of the things, the thing that I started with both years was, Hey, I know that in the past there is there's been friction or potential for friction between the backcountry and logistics because sometimes we have to say no or have to have to make calls down here that you all don't like and I want you to know that I'm, we're not doing this to be cruel or to or to flex on the backcountry or anything like that like there's reasons for for all these calls um, and my mentality and everything what I tried to communicate to the radio operators and the staff that I had working for me was that logistics is an auxiliary department. We are completely a support department. The departments at Philmont that fulfill the mission of Philmont are primarily the backcountry and the ranger departments because that's where there's interaction with campers. Now, of course, there's other, I mean, cons and and wranglers, there's others too, but primarily I would say the backcountry and the rangers. And in logistics, in the radio room at least, our mission is to do everything we can to help those two departments fulfill their mission. So the, the culture really changed a lot over the time that I was there and, and certainly for the better. Um, yeah, we have a Phil Fiesta. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. Yeah. I was usually like I mean, on duty with a radio on my belt and like yeah. taking calls off on the side <laughs> during the Phil I Fiesta. I was going to say, like, like you said, it's, it, it's 24 seven. It doesn't, you know, you guys never, it doesn't sleep, uh, quote unquote. Um, so yeah. I, you know, someone's always got to be on duty, and that's good and okay. So you did eventually make it into the backcountry, transitioning here a little bit. You were I the did. camp director at Ring Place in '09. Yeah, camp director so in '09. Yep, kind of and, in between. Um, yeah, in between. Well, actually, okay. Wait, let's take it back a minute. You took a what five year hiatus between '03 and '08. I did. I was just having too much fun in college and. Wanted to be there yeah. for the summers. And I mean, I was like painting houses and working at a restaurant. Sure. And I found myself with a college degree and the uh, recession wasn't really in full swing yet, but it, I wasn't able to really get anywhere. And I was getting frustrated. And I said, you know, I always wanted to go back and work another summer at Philmont. I'll go back for just one more summer. You know, have another introspective <laughs> summer to myself and not make any friends. And that's fine. And, uh, and then come back and get a real job. <laughs> and that obviously was a complete failure of a mission, but I had a great time and met a lot of cool I'm people. Glad, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad it was a failure. I think in that case, it was more of a success really. Um, yeah. But so you came back in 2008 and um, then in 2009, you were the camp director at Ring Place, finally making it into the backcountry all the way up in the Valle. Yeah. What takeaways do you have from, from that, that year? Uh, oh, I loved that year. That was as far as like fun to responsibility ratio. <laughs> uh, that that year was was very fun. I had a great staff at Ring Place. We had great neighbors. Eli Pagegertz was the CD at Sealy Canyon, and Mick Mullins was the CD at Whiteman Vega. And it, we we had a really good time up in the Valley that year. There was also some weird anomaly with the tracks book with the itineraries and the Valle camps got, which are not busy to begin with, but they got underserved somehow. And especially Sealy Canyon had very few crews that summer. The, the glitch, whatever it was, got fixed the next summer, but Sealy Canyon, <laughs> they were, uh, uh, they spent a lot of time over at our camp. They would just hike over and hang out with us a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was really just a, a fun atmosphere. Did you guys do the weather? We did. And that was tough. I remember catching a lot of flack about that. I mean, I would. it's just something notable about Ring Place, so people would bring it up. But I remember like being at the James or around base camp and, and people being like, hey, what's up with the weather? Like, you guys just aren't funny at all. Or oh. I don't know. That, <laughs> Ouch. I, <laughs> I I don't know if people really thought it through. It, it's a lot of pressure to come up with like something entertaining every, to say every single day. Every day. 
like in the afternoon. Yeah. And there were some days like we were doing program and stuff like that. And then we'd realize, oh my gosh, weather's in 30 minutes. Or we'd hear, you know, itinerary readout start up and we'd all look at each other and, yeah. and say, oh my gosh, we have to throw something together here. Um, I don't think it helped that the year prior, uh, 2008, the CD was, uh, oh my gosh. Okay. I haven't said this name in a long time. I got to make sure I get it right. Um, Stephen yeah. August Hurst Jr. from the great state of Arizona, right? Whole, you got to say <laughs> the whole thing. Uh, yeah. and, and he and his staff were like, they did a great job and, and were funny and clever on a pretty regular basis. So they had set a really high bar for us. So that was, that was tough. I, I think we had some good readouts, but, but I didn't enjoy it or appreciate it as much as I thought I would. I really got to love the astronomy program that Ring Place does up there. I still think to this day that it's one of the most overlooked programs at at Philmont. Maybe because it's hard to take pictures yeah. of, so you don't ever see it on postcards. I don't know. Um, but I think the staff that I had um, did a great job of throwing together a really cool astronomy talk that we continued to modify and evolve throughout the whole summer. And if you put me out in a field in late June with a green laser pointer and, and get me started, I can still do a lot of it, even however many years later, 12 years later. Wow. If you could go back for another summer, where, where else would you like to work? I kind of see that question two different ways. If I could go back to like my early 20s, like those five years that I, that I skipped, oh man, I'd be in the backcountry as much as possible, like working in the backcountry. I'd go, yeah. you know, be a rock climber at Cedo or Miner's Park. And I'd try to, you know, uh, be a logger at one of the logger camps and I'd want to shoot black powder and, you know, just do the backcountry stuff. Um, Cause that's just really a lot of work, but really fun. It's such a cool way to spend your summer. Um, yeah. It, like for modern, like if you ask me, for next summer, you know, I've got a wife and two kids and things like that to consider. And so I don't know what the most realistic answer to that is. Maybe work in logistics. I'm a teacher now, so I do have some flexibility in my summers and, and <laughs> like it definitely crosses my mind every spring. Like, what if I, you know, how could I make this work? Yeah. Half a summer, one month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just one more um, summer. Just one more. Just one, just one more. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk at all about any supervisors or people in leadership that you really looked up to at Philmont? I learned a lot uh, in my time there. Uh, Sid Covington was the manager of logistics. Uh, it's <laughs> it's kind of funny that he was a trip planner in 2008 when I was an assistant manager. So I guess technically he worked for me that summer or, or whatever. Um, but then I was... <laughs> Very pleased and and, uh, and thought it was very appropriate when he got promoted right over me. And I think he did a great job as the logistics manager. And I definitely learned a lot uh, from him as far as management style. And uh, he's a great like operations thinker. And I think our and I think that's how my my mind works as well. So he and I really uh, clicked pretty well in our thought process, I guess. Uh, most of the time for how how that department should run and function. And I think we had a really great team for those couple of years that I was there. I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over the fact that you also um, were, you were an autumn guide in 2008 and then you were the autumn coordinator in 2011, uh, which is a really good year. Co-coordinator. The great Kathy Stanish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. She and I were co-coordinators and, uh, and that was fun. I mean, Working at Philmont in the off season is just a blast. And I said earlier that like the fun to responsibility ratio was probably highest at Ring Place, but yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back on that. Um, in the autumn, like, oh man, it's just so chill. I, you were there, you, you know. You know, you and I worked together in yeah. autumn of '11. Yeah, I loved those two off seasons that I worked at Philmont. There's a lot of work to do. And you, you never know what you're going to be doing from one day to the next. Uh, yeah. But it is just such a fun time to be down there and to get to know the ranch and the full-time staff. And uh, yeah, that was just uh, fantastic. I'm really lucky that I had the opportunity to do that twice. 
Yeah. Oh, is that Murphy? Oh, yeah. Can you hear him on my mic? I only just started hearing him, but it's fine. It's real. It's real life. It's (laughs) just gave me like a mom. It gave me like a mom twin. I was like, oh, there's a baby (laughs) crying. I need to go help it. But Uh, Meg is there. Um, (laughs) Talking about off-season and autumn adventure, I might throw in here the question of, did you have a Philmont romance or is there a story behind that? Funny, (laughs) you should mention that because there's a baby (laughs) crying in the other room that is a direct result of my Philmont romance. I I talked about going back in 2008 and how I, again, didn't really have any expectations for making friends or, or really doing much. I just wanted to go back down to Philmont and, and connect with the land and, and with myself again. And I had also kind of uh, promised myself, I guess, that I was just going to stay away from girls that summer too. I wasn't really running from anything, <laughs> but I had just not enjoyed the dating scene that I was had become a part of and yeah, leading up to that. And I was like, I just need a break. Um, so I was not at Philmont to meet a girl, which of course is um, when it happens. Uh, so <laughs> my now wife uh, was the CD at Fish Camp that year, Meg Graham. And uh, I knew of her, I knew who she was because she was one of the camp directors. But I didn't really connect with her until the very end of that summer when they posted the list for the autumn staff. And, uh, and I was on the list. I was lucky enough to be selected to be an autumn guide. And, uh, along with a lot of, uh, people that I'd gotten to know that summer, uh, Tim Culver and Desi Atwater and Dom Alessandrini and Sarah Burgess and, uh, Matt Murray. And uh, I'm, I'm leaving a whole bunch of people out there, but, uh, but we had a really fun, group that autumn and Meg Graham was on that list as well. I was at the backcountry warehouse that day and I ran into Allison Vinson, now Allison DeFries and Ellie Nickens, who I was friends with. Uh, they were both PCs at rich cabins that summer and I had spent a lot of time up there and, um, they were talking to me about the, the list for, for autumn. And they asked, you know, if I was excited and I said, yeah, you know, of course I'm excited. It's really cool. And we were talking about people we both knew people we, you know, friends we had in common that were on that list. And they said, yeah. And Meg Graham, uh, do you know Meg? And I said, well, I know who she is, but no, I, I don't really know her that well. And these are Ellie Nickens exact words. And if you know Ellie Nickens, you can hear this in her voice. She said, Oh, Dave, you'll love Meg. She sparkles. <laughs> And that was kind of the first impression I had of my future wife. <laughs> um, so it was a few uh, a few weeks later at, I think, the one and only official Tabasco Donkeys concert that took place at the end of summer 2008 uh, in the brand new SAC Pavilion. The SAC wasn't yep. even open yet. Yep, you got- it was just the pavilion, right? You got yeah. it. Yeah, um, it was just the pavilion. Yep. And Desi Atwater flags me over and, you know, Dave, come on over here. I want you to meet someone. Hey, this is Meg. And uh, you guys are going to, we're all, the three of us, all going to be working uh, autumn together. And uh, yeah, so that's how I met my met my wife. <laughs> we worked, you know, several Philmont summers together, as well as a couple apart where like Meg went to start grad school and I was down there in 12 for one more year, things like that. And, uh, married for seven years. Is that right? Wow. <laughs> married yeah, for seven you, years. Yeah. You guys are. <laughs> yeah. I did do some real fast math there that didn't end up being that fast. And we have two kids. Phil yeah. Fling plus. Phil, fl- <laughs> Phil Fling. Pl- okay. I can't say it. Phil Fling plus. I like it. New Mexico, you know, really got into your blood as, as a, as a couple, because you spent how many how long did you live in Red River, New Mexico then? It's so spotty. It's kind of hard to remember. The win- the autumn of 08, Meg and I worked together. But then that winter, she had a contract for Canic and I did not. So I was I was a ski instructor at Red River Ski Area. So then the winter of 
10, I guess it was, we uh, said, you know, forget this. We're not really getting anywhere. We're going back to New Mexico. This is now the third back to New Mexico for me. And we went down and were ski instructors together at Red River and then worked summer of 11 and then the autumn of 11. And then I was, we were both ski instructors again. (laughs) I need like a, I need a whiteboard and a calendar to like remember all this, but we were down there for a while. Sure. Yeah. I love that, you know, the Philmont staff trickles into the Red River community. I wonder, I wonder if that's still how it is to this day. I hope so. Cause those were some really good times. Um, and it was a great connection. Yeah. It was a great off season gig. Yeah. I know that connection had existed in the past, but at the point that I was looking for a winter job, uh, to stick around in New Mexico with my new girlfriend, uh, there really was not a strong, like season, I guess it technically seasonal staff. Mike Ritterhouse was the, was the connection there. He was a BCM and then was a ski patroller at Red River. He had also worked at Angel Fire previously, I think, but I, he's the one that I talked to and he kind of put me in touch with the right people at Red River to get that job. And then once I made that connection, I mean, I don't want to take credit for it, but it just kind of worked out that a lot of people followed, including your husband, Jimmy <laughs> came and was a ski instructor with me for two seasons. Uh, Tim Borden and uh, Cassandra Rakita, who's now Cassandra Ross and uh, like a whole bunch of other film up people uh, came to Red River as well. Tim Culver and Ingria and, and yeah, there's just kind of yeah. this movement of, of Philmont seasonal staff. And my supervisors at Red River loved it because Philmont staff members are pretty high caliber, responsible people. <laughs> uh, so they loved that they were getting this seasonal influx of, of great employees at the ski area. I was never a ski instructor or worked in Red River, but I had a lot of fun going there on my days off when I was working winter and hanging out with all the Philmont crew. So I'm yeah. glad. Glad, glad that connection was made. <laughs> remember a lot of those great nights hanging out with you and Jimmy. And then there's some that I don't remember yeah. so well too. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Some fun, fun times. <laughs> uh, one fun story that just kind of came to light uh, in my memory last summer that I hadn't thought of in a long time. Uh, last summer I did another PSA track and I got to climb a little Castilla uh, and I hadn't, been to the top of Little Castilla in uh, quite a while. But the summer that I was the CD at Ring Place, we knew the itineraries well enough that we could listen to itinerary readout and listen to like the crew loads. And we knew if there was going to be anyone in our area of responsibility, like at all. And like I said, it was a pretty light year for the VA in general. So there's this one night where we knew there was nobody up there. We knew there were no special treks in the area. There were no itineraries coming through. It was like this 36 hour window where there was nothing going on up there. And so my staff and I talked about taking some portables and we were going to take the day and go climb little Castilla. We were sitting around the table in the main room at the uh, cabin, the staff cabin at ring place, kind of making plans like, okay, well, everyone set your alarm for this time and make sure you got your, 10 essentials and your water bottle and all that stuff. And, and we'll go out and hike little Castilla. So while we're making these plans, one of my PCs, Jeff Ostendorf, um, steps outside and he comes back a couple minutes later and he makes some crack about, Hey, the moon, it's a full moon tonight. And the moon is so bright. We could like practically hike little Castilla right now. And there was just this, like silence in the, in the room. And, we all looked at each other and there was like eye contact around the room. And I said, pack up your stuff, be ready to go in 20 minutes. <laughs> and everyone <Yes>. scattered <laughs> and we came back and we went up and did a, a night summit of little Castilla by the full moon. It was so bright that night that we did most of that hike without flashlights. Um, when we were in, in tree cover, we had our flashlights on, but, um, you know, once you break out of the trees, there's like, I don't know, five or seven or 26, depending on who you ask, false summits as you're going up little Castilla. And that's all above tree line. We did all that with, uh, just by the light of the moon. And it was, it was so brilliantly 
bright. We summited, I think, like 2.33 in the morning. Uh, it was freezing cold and windy up there. Uh, with our astronomy program, You know, we were looking around and we were like, oh, Mars is rising and oh, check out Scorpio over there. And uh, so we did a little <laughs> quick stargazing and then booked it down Little Castilla. But that night hike of Little Castilla with, this, with the Ring Play staff in 09 was a really cool memory that I kind of got to relive as, uh, as we hiked Little Castilla last summer. It's really kind of full circle. I mean, you were a PTC participant, went on a trek, and then you did two PSA treks, you know, with your dad. And um, coming full circle to today, you did a PSA trek last summer, 2021, and uh, one in 2015 or 2016, was it? Yeah, I really can't remember which year it was. I think it was 2015. My dad continues, my dad, Brad Plum, I don't think we've said his name yet, but he continues to be active with the PSA and goes down to Philmont uh, frequently for the PSA tracks and for the um, fill break. I couldn't remember the name for a second, the fill break, but <laughs> yeah, my dad continues to be really active and, and every summer he's like, Hey, any chance you can join us? And I, I've been really trying um, with, you know, a young family and stuff like that. It's tough. But in 2015, I went and trekked with uh, my dad and a crew and we were down in the South country and had a great time. And then in last summer uh, I went with, uh, my dad on another PSA trek. So this is, I guess, our fourth <laughs> PSA trek over the time span of 22 years from 1999 to 2021. Uh, and we were up in the Valle uh, for that trek. And, and I actually got to see some corners of the Valle that I had never seen before and, and never been to before, which is pretty cool. What is it like going back on a PSA trek after being on staff and, you know, having Philmont be such a big part of your life? I think there's kind of this window for a few years after you leave where it's just too, it's too soon. It's like, you know, it's like going through yeah. this really rough breakup and it's yeah. just raw. Yeah. And like, I, I just, I can't see Philmont and I can't be, I can't, I, I just can't do that. <laughs> um, I, I didn't really get that separation because my uh, in-laws live in Ute Park and, and we go down there all the time. But as far as a trek goes, I, I just needed some time, some separation. Uh, now, or even as of 2015, I guess, was had that only been three years? I guess at the time, I thought it was enough separation. And uh, and there's enough turnover on staff. And, you know, you don't want to be the person going back and just talking to people's ear off about, oh, yeah, the way it used to be or the way we did it. Or you don't want to be that person it's a totally different type of appreciation um, going back on a PSA track, uh, but it, it's fantastic. And I really have enjoyed the two that I have participated in since being on staff. I'm glad for you. And I got to get, I got to get out there. So you're motivating me. It's good. <laughs> uh, one thing that Meg and I are both uh, really proud of and just really think is cool is that Philmont has been such a family affair for both sides of our family. Um, my dad and myself and Meg worked at Philmont. Her mom has worked at Philmont. Her cousin Carly worked at Philmont. Um, we've joked that our kids could someday, I, I think, I mean, someone correct me, but I think that we could have claim to uh, our kids being the first third generation camp directors from both sides of the family. There's definitely some third generation Philmont staff that's coming down the pipe and probably cool. some third generation camp directors. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but I'm sure they're out there. Uh, but I don't know of anyone who's going to be third generation camp director from both sides of the family <laughs> because both sides. Yeah. Marianne, Meg's mom was a camp director. Meg was a camp director. My dad had been a camp director. I have been a camp director. So that's kind of the one yeah. accolade that we're we're jokingly like reserved for. <laughs> for <our laughs> I love kids. it. But Philmont has just yeah. played such a huge part in our family and our our whole relationship. I mean, of course, that's where we met and where we continue to go back for so many vacations and and now 
I mean, my daughter knows that Grand's house is in Ute Park. My my daughter's association with Philmont, she is two and a half and she knows Philmont, but to her, that's Grand's house. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's just a really, I'm still wrapping my head around that and how that's going to look as she, as she and now my son grow older and and learn what Philmont is and, and it comes to mean something to them as well. So. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm excited for them. So speaking of just the, the the family that is Philmont, whether it's your family, your immediate family or your family of friends and all all the wonderful connections you make out there, is there a person or a list of people in particular that you'd like to nominate to be on the show? I think it would just be cool to kind of connect with another generation of Philmont staff. Um, yeah, totally. And you've had some really great interviews on. Uh, I think my dad and Phil Weingartner, who were both CDs in the early 70s, I think kind of a joint interview with those two would be really fun to listen to because I've sat around and listened to those guys talk and tell stories. <laughs> and it's there's some pretty, uh, pretty fun stories there. So I think that'd be kind of cool. Or just yeah. more people from yeah. that from that era. Uh, Dom Alessandrini, I think would be a, uh, he's just such a great storyteller and he got to experience a lot of, a lot of Philmont over the years. Uh, John Naguib would be a really fun interview. Christine Salisbury. Um, there's, I, there's a lot more. And I, I've been thinking about that question, the nominees more maybe than any other question for the last few days. Like, oh, it's man, a hard I gotta, question. I got to think of like, who's going to, and now a lot of names are flying out of my head and I can't remember who all I had come up with, but. And just a little PSA, please, anyone listening, if you ever have nominations or suggestions, email me, text me, let me know. Do you and Meg display Philmont in your home uh, through memorabilia. I know the answer to this question, but I'll ask it anyways. We, we can't not. I don't think there's a single room in our house that you walk in and there's not some kind of connection to Philmont. I know the listeners can't see this, but you and I are on video and over my shoulder, that's a photo that Marianne took of a horse in the in a meadow uh, looking up at Baldy covered with snow and that we've had printed. Every room in our house has some connection to Philmont or at least Northern New Mexico, um, Red River or, or some other memorabilia from our time down there. We've got an entire shelf of our bookshelf that's like, you know, carry on and the chases of Cimarron. And here's like three copies of the Ranger handbook and, and, um, you know, the Philmont field guide, which is really handy in Western Colorado here on the Western slope. I mean, there's some differences of course, yeah. but we find ourselves referring yeah. to the Philmont field guide as much as anything else when we're trying to ID. We've got a box of staff uniforms in three different colors in our garage. We've got maroon <laughs> and red and blue and short sleeve and long sleeve. We've got way too many staff coffee mugs we, we were just talking the other day about we're gonna have to purge some coffee mugs but like it, it's such a How? complete set you know of our time down yeah. there i'm drinking tea yeah. right from my camp director mug in 2009 which is still my favorite because it's like the big camp director you know it's the yeah the bigger um yeah yeah it, it's just still film on everywhere <laughs> i love it i love it um so the 10 essentials are are a, a well-known thing at Philmont and kind of in the hiking community, and especially if you work in logistics. Um, so Dave Plum, do you have an 11th essential? Before I tell you, I want to tell a quick story about essentials. Um, okay. Tim Culver and I used to do a lot of hiking around in the backcountry and, and just a lot of bumming around and being silly. And um, we got into the habit pretty quickly when we were would be getting ready to go someplace. We'd look at each other. One of us would look at the other and say, Hey, I've got some essentials. And then the response to that was, yeah, I got some too. Okay. You ready? Yeah, let's go. And while that is not the most responsible way to <laughs> venture out in the backcountry, <laughs> and I'm not suggesting this, it always worked out fine for us. <laughs> um, I don't remember a single time when we were out in the backcountry and in need of something uh, because we, we were both pretty responsible and, and, prepared of course that story and that that tradition of him and i saying that uh was lost when he passed away last november two two years ago wow like a year and a half ago but i'm i'm putting this out there on your podcast because if anyone wants to start saying that phrase it would be it would just make me happy 
Uh, and if I ever go <laughs> have the opportunity to go hiking with any of you and you come up and say, hey, let's go, I've got some essentials, then I will be there and ready with the response. Um, my 11th essential, it, it, I, you know, I'll get a little bit sappy here, but my 11th, 12th, and 13th essentials are my wife and my kids. We do a lot of hiking uh, on the trails here in, in this beautiful part of Colorado where we live. My son is not quite two months old, so we're not really used to hiking as a foursome yet, uh, although we've gone out a couple times. But uh, hiking is just really a big part of our lifestyle out here. So I uh, feel weird hiking without my wife and kids. My daughter usually rides in the backpack on my back. And so in the last couple of years, I've become very accustomed to her just kind of constant chatter and questions. Uh, and I joked about it when I was on that PSA trek last summer about how this is like the quietest backpack I've worn in a couple of years. <laughs> it's not asking me any questions or anything like that at all. Uh, but those are my, my extra essentials right now. I love that. I can relate. The quietest backpack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> gosh, this has gone by really quickly, uh, but we are, we're at the end. Any final closing thoughts? I am teaching middle school math and science, and I feel like I use lessons and techniques and even language that I learned at Philmont daily in interacting with with youth of that age. I'm very much a fan of um, uh, teachable moments, <laughs> and my yeah. class my class knows this, and it's. Every year it's this game that they start to play where it's like, hey, can we get Mr. Dave distracted and off topic? And and uh, I, I don't mind. You know, if I have a lesson plan worked out for a day and they get me distracted talking about something else, but they're learning and it's a teachable moment, then, you know, they think they win, but really we all win, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah rock on. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I did a little stint for a few years as a 911 call taker and dispatcher, which uh, directly related to my experience in Philmont as the communications manager. And I was definitely utilizing, um, you know, as a direct transfer of skills from one job to the next uh, in that job, but that's a whole nother story. So I really enjoyed hanging out with you this evening and I look forward to tracking with you soon. And next time we get to, See each other in person. Here's another sneak peek of our upcoming album, which officially airs two weeks from today on March 1st. So mark your calendars March 1st for a special episode and album release party with myself and my three sisters, Caroline Johnson, Carly McDermott, and Claire Fike. Back, baby, back in time, I want to go back.